Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 229 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you live on a Sunday evening. It is 10 p.m. Eastern time. We are cheating on today's podcast. We are, we are recording officially before the game is even over, and that is because it is currently 14-1 to 1 in favor of the Atlanta Braves. And joining me tonight to discuss all that transpired this week, Scott Coleman is here. Hello, sir. Hey Brad, thanks for having me on. Uh, real life baseball games to talk about. It's it's pretty great, isn't it? It is. It is pretty great. Uh, it was a weird week, but uh, we got here and yeah. baseball happened. Two almost three games, uh, almost three games of full baseball that we have to discuss on the show, including what we're going to assume on this podcast is a win for the Braves <laughs> at fourteen to one in the eighth. If they lose, if they end up losing fourteen to one, I don't want to talk about it. So we're going to just say they won. This would be an all-time uh, <laughs> TC podcast jinx. People were uh, when when the Braves had not announced their uh, their roster on was it Thursday? Yeah, Thursday. Yeah. Um, people were asking us to do a podcast because they knew that the pocket that the that the roster would come out as we were recording the podcast, which yep. I appreciated the uh, the diehard listeners knowing our jinx powers. Um, unfortunately, I could not do a podcast that day, but uh, I really appreciate all the shout all, all the shout outs. But yeah, here we are. We are going to talk about the Braves, obviously, in terms of the performances they that they put in the first three games. But before we get to that, the big news in baseball we should touch on because it's going to affect our predictions. Uh, you, me, and Eric put together our predictions on the last show, and that was before we knew that the playoffs are expanding to 16 teams. That happened just before the start of the season on Thursday. Um, this possibility was out there. We discussed it ad nauseum before this, but um, it had cooled and then it came back. So essentially, the top two teams in every division are making the playoffs this year, and then there are two more wild cards beyond that, so eight teams in each league. Um, that substantially devalues the regular season, but at least in my opinion, I'm, I was on the record before this, and I, I still stand by this, that I'm okay with this this year in a way that I will not be if they try to keep it beyond this year. Um, but what are your thoughts about the expanded playoffs? Because we, we cover a team that I would assume now is a pretty big favorite to make the playoffs. Um, before, I would have told you that it was probably closer to coin flip because of all the things that could happen and in the shortened season. Now with the expansion, the Braves are, I'm going to say this, they're expected to make the playoffs now in a way that maybe, at least outside of Atlanta, they weren't flat out expected to make the playoffs before this. Um, a, does that make sense? And B, what do you think about all these changes? Yeah. Yeah, if there was ever a year for it, it's this year, right? Because... Again, you're talking about pretty much half of the teams in the league making the playoffs. 
it's going to be a shortened first round. And because of the short 60 game season and, and just the flukiness of baseball, I don't think many people want this uh, as you alluded to. I, I think this is just kind of a one-time thing, or I hope it's a one-time thing, but again, because you have the shortened season and, and might be in a chance for some teams who were maybe the favorites that to get another chance if they have a bad two months, because as we know, uh, weird things happen in baseball over the course of eight or nine weeks. So um, I'm cool with it for this year. It, it seemed like a possibility the entire time. And, and then once it came out, it's like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm up for some extra baseball, especially because we were robbed of the first couple of months this year. Um, I guess get back to me whenever, uh, whenever the playoffs do happen, if the Braves end up getting shorted on a, on a series because of the new rule, I, maybe I won't be as happy about it. But um, again, I think it's worth doing given the circumstances and, and should be for some fun in October. Yeah. Just for, this is uh unscientific, but um, in the day between the announcement and before the announcement, the Braves, you know, most of the projection systems had the Braves at like a 40 to 50% chance of making the playoffs. Um, and overnight that number jumped to like the 60 to 70 range. And that is kind of what this does. Um, going from 10 to 16 teams, you know, going from five to eight in the in the National League goes from the Braves being a coin flip, maybe a little bit better than that if you want to be optimistic, to a substantial probability to make the playoffs. Um, so that helps in terms of eliminating some of the variance. I was kind of upset that, you know, we were geared up and we talked about this a lot in the last few shows about how much every game matters. And that still is the case, but it matters a little bit less now. Just a little. I mean, there, there are still, in, there's still incentives yeah. for being good. Like the top three... Um, like the division winners and the you know the runner up and the way the things were seeded, the first round series being a three game series played entirely at the home of the higher seed is interesting, especially if um, home field matters. We, we don't really know if it matters right now because of the weirdness with no with no crowds. But I don't know. There's a lot of weirdness here. I do think that it matters to still be in the playoffs. But at, at, on the on the flip side, if you're the number one overall seed. And you're now playing a three-game series against a team that you might have beaten by ten games in a sixty-game season, and you could lose. That's kind of brutal. So I don't really know yeah. how I feel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right. It does devalue the the emotion and impact of every game because you're right. I mean, as as we're sitting here and so this is the third game of the year. I mean, that that's five percent of the season. If my if my quick math is right there, I mean, that, that's yep. crazy to think, but. Um, yeah. So again, if there was ever a year for it, it's this year. I don't think anybody wants to turn baseball into the NBA or the NHL where, where everybody makes it, um, or at least anybody with an air of 500 makes it. You Um, you say, you say that, um, I would not put it past the owners to want to do this all the time because there might be some extra money here. And that is the fear. I'm, I'm on record. I think you are as well. Like this is not good under normal circumstances. If they're playing a full, 162 game season and they end up having a best of three and half the league makes the playoffs. I'm going to hate that. Um, yeah. th- this year I, I do understand it, but I do worry about this. I'll, I'll, set, I'll set the stage for you a little bit here before we move on. What if the Dodgers go like 43 and 17 and they lose to the eight seeded, uh, I don't know the eight seeded <laughs> Cardinals. Uh, Cause the Cardinals have voodoo magic and yeah, the Cardinals are the, the Cardinals are twenty eight and thirty two. So th- they lose they lose a three game series to a team that they've beaten by sixteen games in, in the regular season. 
Yeah. Like yeah. that's going to like produce the backlash that I actually would be here for. Cause I'm going to hate that too, but th- that's, that's in play. I mean, baseball, especially because the one incentive that you get for winning the division is home field and home field may not matter. So like, I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot of variants already in this season, but I'm not sure this does what they want it to do in terms of, yeah, it's going to get it, the good teams will make the playoffs, but they'll also have to play an extra series with very little incentive and very little uh, advantage to doing that in a short series yeah. too. No, definitely. And I think again, who knows how, how the playoffs will shake out. Maybe it is chalk kind of how we, you know, the NBA, as you know, well, it's usually the, the top seeds advance and, um, I, I think in the last maybe five years or so, the, the randomness of the baseball playoffs has gone down a little bit. Now, there's still going to be some funky series, but um, ever since there was the runs with the Royals and the Giants, where those teams just weren't, uh, on paper at least, as good as their counterparts. I think with the advances they've made in statistics and, and advanced scouting, I think that has gone down a little bit. Now, for sure, teams can get hot for five or six days, and all of a sudden, as you said, the the 45 win Dodgers just lost a very short series to a 32 win team. Um, but again, I, I think everyone knows that this year is always going to have an asterisk or a uh, comma but after it, and, and you just it's it is what it is. Again, if the Braves are the two seed and they get bounced by the seven seeded Diamondbacks in a couple of months, I probably won't be thrilled. But <laughs> yep. it's, it's what everybody's dealing with. And again, if, if for 2020 at least, let's hope that they. Uh, appreciate the grind of a long season and that it shouldn't just allow anybody who wins 80 games in the playoffs. I know last year somebody said the 78 and 84 Texas Rangers, who are not a bad team, but not a good team by any means, but a 78 win Rangers team last year would have made the playoffs in the American League. Uh, I don't think anybody really wants that other than the owners who are looking for, for every dollar they can make. Yeah, I worry about the owners, but we'll uh, cross that bridge later on. Okay. Moving on to Braves-centric things, uh, we'll talk about the games, but first, there was plenty of roster stuff that's happened in the last week or so, I guess, you know, half week since we recorded last on Wednesday. Um, we'll start with the fact that the Braves have both of their catchers, um, both of their co-starting catchers, have been ill and missed the entire first series. Uh, they they both tested negative. This is Tyler Flowers and Travis Darno. Travis they tested negative for COVID-19, but they were sick enough where they left them in Atlanta. That was the right decision, I would imagine. Um, but they were replaced by Alex Jackson and, uh, and William Contreras. And those guys did a reasonable enough job, especially Contreras, uh, at the plate. But, I mean, we don't know how to really talk about Flowers and Darno, like how long they'll be out or anything like that, but they're still sick, apparently, as of today, when Sticker talked to the media. So that was not an ideal way to start the season. Um, I don't really have a reaction other than I hope those guys feel better soon. But it's just kind of uh, a reminder, I guess, right off the bat of how the roster stuff is going to matter this year in terms of the taxi Mm. squad and the depth, uh, et cetera. My, my takeaway from it was is, is catcher, as, as we've talked about over the years, catcher is such a wasteland across Major League Baseball. And the fact that the Braves could lose two guys who they were going to rely on uh, every day and then be able to turn to Alex Jackson, Jackson and William Contreras, who we'll talk about in a bit, um, it is really beneficial. And you have those catchers who you feel decent with. I mean, you, you think back on previous Braves teams and just how bad the backup catcher was, let alone who would have been the number three catcher. Uh, you, you could get into a pretty ugly situation. So um, absolutely, whether it's COVID or not, it sounds like after three or four days of testing, if all of the tests are still negative for both, you would assume 
this is not COVID. It really is just a viral infection or a cold. And any other time in history, you wouldn't think anything of it. But because of the circumstances, you just have to take every precaution possible. And hopefully those guys are able to get back maybe once the team returns home in a few days. Yeah, we'll uh, keep you. We'll keep everybody updated uh, on the site as of anytime Snicker talks or anything else like that. But uh, we'll see what happens with, with those guys. But uh, the Braves do have more depth there when, than most teams, which is, uh, I guess, a good thing in terms of this uh, situation. The Braves also traded for a major league caliber outfielder in the last few days. Uh, Scott Shebler, formerly of the Cincinnati Reds, who got DFA'd on July 19th. The Braves acquired him. He's a 29-year-old left-handed hitting outfielder. Uh, has a 30-homer season on his resume in 2017. Almost slugged 500 that year, but um, not a great player by any means. Was like a playable guy in 2017 and 2018. He was really bad last year in 30 games. Um, got hurt. And that was why he only played 30 games. Um, but basically, he's like a, a career average hitter. And uh, mostly slanted towards power. He's definitely a power bat, um, but doesn't have a whole lot else going for him. Defensively, he's okay. Like, he's playable. But again, this seems like a depth move. But at the same time, the question that I have for you, other than your reaction to Shebler, is like, who's he supposed to be replacing? Because... Yes, depth is really important, but the Braves don't have like very easily cuttable players other than maybe Charlie Culberson because they had to kind of decide who they were going to keep when the roster was due, and they chose Matt Adams over uh, other options, and Matt Adams has now DH'd twice in the first three games. So it seems like Matt Adams is kind of firmly a part of the plan. Um, so unless Shebler is going to replace Culberson, I don't, I don't really know what he's going to be doing because he's got a major league contract. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I was a little surprised, too, uh, of all the, the moves we've seen, players getting DFA'd or opting out. He was not somebody who I immediately jumped on, but um, an interesting guy, as you said. He, he kind of plays perfectly in Cincinnati's ballpark. He's a lefty. He hits for power in that tiny little stadium they have. You know, you hit a ball in the air, there's a 50-50 shot. It's going into the seats. Um, I don't really know what to make of it. You, you mentioned the roster, especially with the roster trimming down in another 10 days or so. Um you would presumably ditch at some point, whether it's that first round of cuts or second round of cuts, a hitter or two off your bench. Um, it could be depth, a depth move that maybe they aren't necessarily planning on utilizing him right away. I don't know what the how the contract works and, and what exactly he's entitled to with how his contract is structured. Um, it is worth mentioning he's somebody who was injured last year and had a bad 2019. I think he ran into an outfield wall and needed shoulder surgery, so... Um, I would guess he's not fully recovered from that. We know that's a really tricky injury for players to overcome, especially when they're throwing and, of course, hitting. Um, so I don't know. I, I was kind of perplexed by it. Again, there's no such thing as bad depth, especially this year, and he has been a serviceable player at times. But um, other than just extreme outfield insurance, I'm just not sure what to make of it. Yeah, that's pretty much what I think, too. Like I think right now if they had to put him on – the roster and take somebody off the only position player that makes sense given what we've seen and the fact that they seem to want to play Matt Adams um is Charlie Culberson and fans won't like that but he is I think the most expendable piece of the position players um and even then eventually they have to get down to 13 like within the next three weeks they're going from 30 to 26 and uh at most they'll have 13 position players and Culberson's fort is basically basically number 14 right now. So regardless, they're going to have to get rid of somebody that's already on the team 
and uh, maybe injury will do it for them or something like that. But if, if everybody's healthy, they already have a pretty tough decision, and then now you're throwing in another guy who is a major league quality player that they have to put in somewhere or not put in somewhere. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No issues. They, they gave up nothing. So, like, it's not a bad thing at all. I just don't know what the plan is, and we'll find out, I assume, in the next couple yeah. of days. Yeah. One of those, why not? Let's do it. See what happens. Again, you can easily cut him loose. If he's does if he wants to try to play somewhere else, I'm sure they would oblige him and, and let him uh, out of his contract or whatever you want to say. But, um, yeah, a little bit of an eyebrow raiser. Maybe he'll get a chance at some point this year. But, again, it would require, I think, either injury or something to go wrong with Matt Adams or, or something like that. Yep, and the uh, the other roster stuff that was set before the season started, um, you know, like 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 I mentioned before, Culberson Adams got the final two slots. Position player wise, pitcher wise, um, without Will Smith and without Jacob Webb, who was uh, injured, now they went with Grant, they went with Grant Dayton and Tyler Matzik, both making it as lefty specialist kind of types. And they also chose good friend Yoli Chassin over Bryce Wilson early on. That was a, at least a slightly eyebrow raising decision. And then you have Tukey; they are also carrying. Um, other than the, other than that, and no, none of those are hugely impactful. Um, they're just kind of having depth around. Um, the other big news was Cole Hamill's going to the 45 day IL. Now that does not rule him out for the season, but he's going to be out now for another month or more, like more like five more weeks, um, early September. And as we've discussed ad nauseum, that's half the season or more that he's going to be missing now. That's A, unfortunate. B, not that surprising, given everything else that's happened with Cole Hamels. And um, I, don't want to, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but um, we argue about this on, on Twitter. At least we, I, I, said that, I said that we were going to argue about this on Twitter. Um, yep. I am firmly in the camp that this is not a uh, situation where this is like some sort of bust thing that happened. And people are mad at Anthopolis. I, I don't agree with that. Uh, it's not going well, obviously, but I don't think that there was any real reason to think that Cole Hamill was going to get hurt. Uh, he's been pretty durable. But what's your stance? Because I think we may actually disagree, which is rare for us. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I'll say this. You can't, you can never predict injuries, right? You can sign a guy who's been durable for 10 years and then he plays 25 games for you the next year because he just can't get right. Um, so the injury part of it is uh, at least this year's injuries cannot be attributed to Anthopolis. Um, I think where my frustration is, is this is a guy who has been generally durable the last few years, but he did have, um, he's had some oblique issues. He's had the shoulder issue last year. Um, which which caused him to to miss some time down the stretch, and I think it's it's just shown that while I'm in the firm camp of there's no such thing as a bad one year deal because guess what in three months Hamill's contract is off the books and the Braves can wipe their hands and as if it never happened. But as we're seeing now, this was a position of need. The rotation was an area of need, uh, regardless of a full season or this shortened season that we're looking at. Um, and, and as we're seeing, a one-year deal can hurt you because generally there's a little more risk on those guys. You're hoping for a bounce back here. It's worked out great at times, but again, you can't predict the injuries. You you don't know what's going to happen, but whenever you take a chance on these older guys like Hamels in his mid-30s, who has had some minor but, but nonetheless notable injuries the last couple of years, uh, it can come back to bite you. So hopefully at some point, Hamels, even if it's able to make a couple of starts in September, uh, he should be fresh and uh, we'll see if he's ever able to actually get on the mound. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough because the two guys that Anthopolis brought in to provide depth in the rotation, these are they're very different additions. Like, Hamels was the big-ticket item. They needed that to work, and it may not work now. Um, 
you know, we'll see how this all pro- this all progresses. You kind of have to assume he's going to be gone. Um, if he comes back, gives you something that's 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 a nice plus. Um, the other guy was Felix Hernandez who opted out, and that was a low that was definitely a low budget like flyer kind of thing. But you're right in that the rotation. We mentioned this on the last show. The rotation is not great on paper. I think people are kind of overlooking that as a weakness. Uh, obviously, the top two guys are good, and Newcomb was okay once he settled in today. Um, but it's not a great unit on paper, and it was supposed to look much better, and it would have looked much better if Cole Hamels was in it. Um, it's as simple as like taking Cole Hamels, who we, we weren't projecting as like a top of a rotation pitcher, but someone who the Braves are looking at as like a number three starter. Uh, you take him out and don't have anybody to replace him with other than young guys, and uh, it's a pretty gaping hole. But I don't know. I, I think it's tough to put much on Anthopolis. Like, <laughs> this is an extreme example, but I had a guy in my Twitter mentions after this was uh, after this was announced, saying that uh, Anthopolis was was and I quote an abject failure end quote as a general manager, and mm. I was like, well, the Braves have won the division both time, both years that he's had the job. He's done a lot of good things. Like, is he perfect? No. Like, we we disagree with with, with things that the Braves have done the last two plus years since he's been in charge. I'm not saying he's been perfect, but the notion that he's like failing because he didn't. Because he's because because Cole Hamels got hurt. That's basically what we're saying here. <laughs> no, uh, no, I don't know. I, I know. I, I know you're not saying that. It's just yeah. crazy to me. Some of the reactions, like I, it's not working out. I will be the first person to admit, like if you pay 18 million dollars for Cole Hamels for even for one year, and I'm with you obviously on the one year thing, you need to have some return on that, and it's not going to provide any. Maybe uh, that's not that's not great. But I also think that it's worth pointing out. We know this. We said it ad nauseum. It isn't like Anthopolis has endless resources. Like he's not. This is not the Yankees where he could have just signed anybody he wanted to to any number of contract, and he, and he and he chose Cole Hamels. I'm fairly confident that Anthopoulos didn't have a whole lot of uh, a whole lot more payroll space. In fact, they they spent more money this year than we thought than we assumed they were going to. Like that was a pleasant surprise, actually. That the Braves were spending some money on guys like Ozuna and Hamels. Uh, their returns on on Ozuna are great, by the way. Uh, he's mashing, um, but. Yeah, you got, you're going to miss sometimes, and it looks like this might be a miss. I don't know. I'm okay yeah. with I'm okay with worrying about the rotation because I am worried about the rotation myself. I just think that Hamels, because it was injury, I, I don't really have a fault. But you're right; it's not like he's you know older guys have injury concerns. Like we mentioned mm-hmm. it when they signed him. But I think at the same time, this is not someone who was a long term, like always injured, and now we count on him. Guy, he's been pretty durable for a long time, so I was okay with it. Yeah, and, and not to, like you said, not to turn this into two hours on Alex no. Anthopoulos' two and a half years so far running the show. I think he's, you know, Anthopoulos admittedly says, look, I, I was handed a lottery ticket with f- with five of the six correct numbers. And and he did a good job, and he hasn't uh, blown away his assets. I mean, we we're, we see with the Mets, uh, new GM takes over, and they, they've traded away all, a handful of their top prospects to go all in, and now they're, they're going to pay the price. Um Anthopoulos was very cautious. He's been methodical. I think he's been diligent with who he signed. Um, but you're absolutely right. You're not going to hit 100% on on your one-year deals. You're not going to hit 100% on any deal you make. Um, and again, you hope that Hamels is able to give them something, if even if it is a couple of starts in September and in theory October. I, I think you would you'd be like, okay, it, it is what it is. We we got we got him when we needed him most. But um, yeah, it, it's. It's not an ideal situation, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, Hamill is able to give him something. Yeah, there you go. So he is now out of the mix for another five weeks, and we'll talk about him later if we need to. Um, Will Smith, though, is coming back. 
pretty soon, it seems. He cleared his tests. He is uh, he threw a side session, I guess, today back in Atlanta. Um, there was word that he could be available as early as like next week-ish. That's a pretty good thing. Obviously, Will Smith was a, um, in contrast to Marcel Ozuna and Cole Hamels, who are one-year contracts, Will Smith was a multi-year, big-budget addition. The only one that the Braves made this summer, uh, or sorry, this winter. Um, And yeah, that's one they need to work out. Obviously, can't do anything about him getting sick, but looks like he's going to be on the field pretty darn soon because he's he's a reliever. It won't take him as long, which is nice. Um, So I have no action on him other than it'd be nice to have Will Smith pitching. It would be, and I think we've seen this opening week. I mean, despite the offensive shortcomings in games one and two, the bullpen has been really, really solid. I mean, as we're wrapping up this first game, I think they've only given up, what, a total of three runs across 15 or so innings. I mean, it's really, really good. You, you hope that Will Smith, we should probably more mention Mark Melanson's back was a bit of an issue too, but yeah, that's didn't, coming. Seem, didn't <laughs> seem too serious. Uh, yeah, sorry to jump ahead on your, uh, no, I see it here on your Google Doc. You're, you're fine. Uh, uh, there was a, uh, a moment and I tried my best to be, uh, give the benefit of the doubt a little bit because when Melanson did not come in the game on Saturday night, it was like, what is going on? And, yeah. uh, pretty clearly and pretty quickly, I assumed, and people that pay attention assumed that he was not available because uh, if he was available and not pitching, it would have been the weirdest thing that ever happened. <laughs> um, yeah. so he was not available. We, we learned that, but yeah, you're right. It's. Basically, the first three games now, the Braves have operated without their top two relievers. And obviously, Melanson, I guess, could have been available today, but Smith has not been. So to come out of that, and they have pretty good depth. And they, you know, Snicker talked about avoiding uh, Green and Martin because they don't want to go back to back day. That's something that's also important is that they, especially early on this season, Snicker is on the record as saying they don't really want to use guys back to back days if they can help it. And that makes your bullpen kind of uh perilous some nights (laughs) yeah yeah you're gonna need depth and again i think we've seen if they can get will smith fully ramped up and close to what he was with the giants and hopefully get melanson's back sorted out there there's a lot to like with this bullpen and uh we'll talk a little bit about aj minter who had a really nice appearance the other day and darren o'day looked good chris martin other than a a belt tie fastball the cespedes has has been really good shane green so Again, there's a lot to like in this bullpen if they're able to get all their pieces in a row. Yep, for sure. Um, And that's a good transition. Uh, We'll take a quick break now, and we're going to come back talk about the actual game action that happened in the last few days, and look ahead to next week. So hold on tight. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, Scott, let's talk about Friday first, get the uh, pain out of the way. 
Friday night's opener. Uh, I will say this. The Braves were supposed to lose Friday, according to Las Vegas and according to projection systems. And that's what happens when you face Jacob DeGrom, who is, if not the best pitcher in the world, one of the five for sure. Um, and it's a one nothing game. That's pretty frustrating. Um, on the more positive side, the Braves pitched quite well on Friday. You mentioned the, uh, the home run that happened. That was it. Um, Soroka was very good. Uh, the bullpen was good. Uh, it's just they couldn't score. Um, and they only had really the one big opportunity. They had a guy on third base with one out in the seventh and didn't score. That was the more, that was the most maddening thing. Um, but I mean, it was, it was a frustrating loss and people, it's never fun to lose an opening day because then people get negative and upset, but you know, the offense sucked, but they, you know, it was not a, not a terrible start, especially when you look at the positive. Yeah. I mean, it was an enjoyable game. I mean, usually after a Braves loss, I'm kind of, uh, um, one, I think just to have baseball back was great. And as you said, I mean, it's it's Jacob deGrom and Mike Soroka had a fantastic performance uh, once again. But again, as you said, the Mets were heavy favorites and deGrom is, for my money, the best pitcher in the planet. Um, it was an enjoyable game. It was, again, just one unfortunate piss, pitch from Chris Martin. Who, what was the difference? But again, um, to lose one nothing to deGrom, I think going into the weekend series, we said, look, if they lose opening day to DeGrom, it's not the end of the world. But because of the Mets injuries uh, to their pitching staff, it's a real a real opportunity to get two out of three. And, and they've done exactly that. So I think getting that first loss, as you said, everything's magnified on opening day, even if it is a shortened season, because it's opening day. It, everything naturally is going to get uh, over amplified. But um, just good to have baseball back and you take it. And thankfully, they were able to rally the next two days. And by the way, it was uh, almost a heroic play that got forgotten because they lost the game. But Ender's catch in the fifth was an awesome mm. play. Uh, yep. Ender's Ender's very good at defense. We know that. But uh, yeah, some of the value that you get from him was on display right there to keep the game at 0-0. Zero, zero. They ended up losing anyway, but uh, wanted to make sure we said something about that play. It was an awesome play by, by Ender. Um, Saturday was the one that actually had the real drama. Um, a couple of notes that I wanted to point out before we dive into the what actually happened. Just lineup-wise, we mentioned before they, went with, they were going with, with Matt Adams as the DH against right-handed pitching. I'm not surprised by that, but it's worth pointing out. Against the lefty on Saturday, they played Austin Riley in left field and Marcelo Zuna at DH, which is a slight surprise. Then they had Adam Duvall in right field. So they, they did everything else that we, know, that we thought that they were going to do against a left-handed pitcher. They went with right-handed guys like Duvall. They benched Ender. Good to see on that. Um, played Ozuna, played Riley, etc. Played played uh, Camargo at third. The only thing I wanted to make sure that we said was that, you know, playing Riley and left and Ozuna at DH is kind of interesting. That's the way that I described it. I was not like upset about it. It was just noteworthy to me. That's a pretty good mm-hmm. indication, as we've been hearing all through the spring um, from the beat from the beat guys, and then in, into the summer and the restart at spring. It appears the Braves do not love Marcelo Ozuna's defense. I'll say yeah. that. Um, and with good reason, I suppose. We He made a pretty bad play early in tonight's game um, with a bad route. Um, I, I was famously like more encouraged by it and looking backwards, but apparently his, his arm really is just gone at this point. That hurts. So I have no real issue with this, and Riley is a pretty good athlete. He's not great defensively in left field, but if they feel like that's a kind of a wash – play the younger guy who's in better shape and maybe not as like injury prone as Ozuna could be. So I'm okay with all of that. But what, what did you think when I saw, I just kind of raised my eyebrows, not in a bad way. It just kind of surprised me. Yeah, it was. It's like, Oh, interesting. And, and you're right. I mean, we, we heard from Mark Bowman that 
Uh, the Braves really didn't think Ozuna had a whole lot left. You can see when he throws after having his shoulder surgery, he kind of throws it, looks it bad. like a, like a yeah. kid who doesn't like know how to really throw a baseball the right way. Right? I mean, it, it um, is jarring. Like today, after he after he made the uh, the bad route uh, early, and he got the ball, and it was like, oh, I got to hurry here and throw it yeah. in to try to, to try to hold him to a to hold him to a double. And I was like, oh man, that that just looks very bad. And we've seen yeah. him for a couple times now, but it was a reminder, like. The, the arm stuff, make whatever you want about his mobility or everything else, but the arm questions are apparently real. I think he yeah. might just be one Pierre now in hmm. terms yeah. of his arm. Yeah, and I think it, it also is a sign that the Braves are really committed to Austin Riley. And yep. uh, he, he's had some really, really good at-bats. The results before Sunday night were not there. Um, part of that is facing DeGrom and, and just being on – uh, I thought he should have had at least a walk or two and had a bad call go his way or go against him. Um, but I think Riley's had some really good at bats and I think they, they're clearly giving him every opportunity and it finally paid off tonight. Uh, but uh, Hey, by all means, let Riley go in left field. He's, he's deceptively athletic. I think fans are catching on to just how he really is for being such a big guy. He's really pretty nimble and, um, and, and athletic, um, but yeah, it was it was an interesting decision nonetheless. But um, I think if they can avoid Ozuna's arm in left field, they'll try. But I think he's more than serviceable out there if you have to do it. But again, the fact they view Riley a little higher is is interesting. Yeah, it is. Um, and the other thing about the, about the lineup slash batting order was that they also hit Dansby sixth and Riley eighth against the lefty, and that surprised me too. Like not again, not in a hugely bad way. I was just yeah. like, oh, that's and Riley looked awful against Degrom, by the way. Not that anybody looks good against Degrom, but he looked particularly bad in the in the first game, and I wonder if that was part of the reason why. But uh, yeah, I don't know, no no huge issue. But I thought that was uh, also worth yeah. pointing out. It, um, it goes to show that I think the batters five through nine really can be inter- interwoven. However, you shake want them up. To. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, the top four is I mean, the top four is set. I think we know that. Um, we could differ. Like, I, I don't particularly love uh, Ozzy hitting second against right-handed pitching because Ozzy is not a special hitter at, from the, from the left side. But you know, we kind of know what one through four is going to be every single night. It's just not going to change. I don't think yep. unless something goes very very wrong. So there you go. Okay, to the game itself. Uh, it was kind of quiet for eight innings essentially uh adam duvall hit a home run that was nice um there was a big strikeout by ronald acuna in the eighth that will kind of like set everybody uh to to deflation mode that the Braves were going to maybe lose this game and then with two strikes and two outs in the ninth off edwin diaz marcelo zuna makes his uh presence known with a massive game tying homer um to of course the braves eventually win this game um i don't know i don't have that much to say until then, like the bullpen, we mentioned before, we'll just, we'll just say it again now. Like AJ Minter looked awesome, Darren O'Day looked good, Josh Tomlin was like hit and miss, but looked fine-ish. Um, and then we we pick up the game in the ninth after Ozuna. But unless you have thoughts, I mean Ozuna's been really good. Yeah. I want to just say that out yeah. loud. Like obviously it's a small awesome. sample size, but he, he he looks great at the plate. Um, the the absolute opposite of his arm is uh, his bat right now. So. <laughs> yeah, it kind of felt like a, a weight was lifted off everyone's shoulders when he hit that homer. I think I think it's natural to press, especially at the beginning of a year and when the offense is not going well. I mean, I think at one point I ran the numbers and I think the Braves had struck out in 50 percent of their at bats through the first 17 innings, something like 48 outs and 24 strikeouts or something. Um, I think it was you could tell the guys were pressing a little bit. And whenever you do get literally on the last on your last pitch of the game, 
uh, for Ozuna to sneak that ball over the wall was, uh, you could just kind of tell things had changed a little bit. And then it of course went for the better in the extra inning. Yeah, that was, that was very big. Um, yeah, that's nothing else to add. Uh, in the ninth and beyond, there was some interesting stuff. I know I mentioned before that they didn't have Melanson. We didn't know that at the time. They brought in Luke Jackson in the tie game in the ninth. No one batted an eye. That was perfectly normal to do. Uh, Luke was not great in the ninth. He got um, a couple of base runners on. And actually, I was surprised that he faced Jeff McNeil with two runners on. Um, it didn't bite them, but Jeff McNeil mashes right-handed pitching, and the Braves had lefties available to go to um, in a do-or-die situation. But Luke got him out. And they went to the 10th. Uh, and that's a good opportunity for us to talk about the new format of extra innings. So the Braves are the road team. They bat first in the, ten- in the 10th inning. And people that didn't know, but now they know for sure that they watched this game. You get a runner on second with no outs. And it's the bla- it's the player that made the last out. So fortunately for the Braves, that was Adam Duvall, who's a good base runner. So he's on second base. Um, and suddenly the Braves are in a good spot. My first thought here before I let you weigh in, um, I was very encouraged, very, very encouraged that Brian Snicker did not make Davey Swanson bunt to open the 10th inning. Mm, Now, I think it's pretty clearly the right thing to do to not bunt, especially in the top half of the inning, because don't forget this, scoring one run does not mean the game's over. You're in the top half of the inning, and in the bottom half, the other team has the runner on second base too. So I think people that wanted him to bunt, I don't understand that. But I was I was encouraged, and I want to give Snicker his props that there was there appeared to be no even thought about bunting Dansby. Yeah. He was swinging away from pitch number one, and uh, ultimately, of course, Contreras breaks up the, uh, the the tie game with his first hit, which was cool. But what would you make of all of it? I guess I mean the whole tenth <laughs> inning yeah. base runner on that whole system. What, what do you what do you think about all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, the new rule works out nicely when it works for you, doesn't it, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> kind of what Snicker said, by the way. Snicker was like, yeah, it worked out for us. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, but give it like give it a couple of days, and then it'll work against them, and that's the dumbest rule in the history of <laughs> baseball. But, um, yeah, I was encouraged they didn't bunt. It'll be interesting, kind of like we've seen with the NFL in recent years. With I, I don't know what the, the metrics or, or numbers say about, I would assume not bunting when you're the road team in the top of the 10th makes sense. But if you're the home team, I, I don't know if bunting him over to third, what the statistics are on a runner on third with one I, out. Versus- I, I, I think it's closer. I looked this up a little bit. Ultimately, yeah. it depends on who's batting. I mean, if it's a bad hitter. And by the way, this is also a universal DH environment. So in theory, mm-hmm. the guy who's batting is not a bad hitter. Um, you know, Dansby, being that he is... You know, well, so far this year he's been awesome, but previous to this year was you know one of your worst hitters in the lineup. It might be, it might be a little bit, a little bit closer. Obviously, you're not going to sure. bunt if it's Freddie Freeman or Ronald Acuna, but you know if you got Ender up there in For the bottom half, yeah, in the bottom half of the inning, um, and it's and and you held the other team scoreless, you know. If one run, if one run wins you the game in the bottom half, I think you at least have to think about it. If, if, if it's a bad hitter, but honestly, usually it's not a bad hitter. Like mm-hmm. this is a, this is a DH world, and uh, yeah, if it's a catcher or if it's Ender or something like that, you have to consider it. But I just think it's in the top half. It's such a no brainer that no yeah. one should be bunting unless they're just terrible at hitting. Like if it was like I don't even know who the worst. If it's Rafael Belliard up there. <laughs> then go ahead and have a bun, I guess. But other yeah, than that, Alex, Alex Jackson may be the way he's been struggling. Well, I guess you probably wouldn't want him. He can't bunt. Either, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. think Alex has a, has a ton of rep as a ton of reps as a bunter. But yeah, I don't know. It's just yeah. I was encouraged. Yeah. I don't want. I'm not trying to uh, make fun of Snicker, but I, I was a little bit worried that he would bunt there, given that, mm-hmm. given that it was Dansby, 
given that it was a new situation, he likes to play small ball sometimes. I just thought it was good that he didn't even think about it. Um, yeah. No, I'm with you. So, again, I mean, I enjoyed it. It was nice to have before the shenanigans in the bottom half of the inning. Um, it was good to see him take advantage and, and pull out a win, especially, again, when they were down to the last strike. And as I said, it just kind of felt like everyone's spirits were lifted in the last maybe 25, 30 minutes of the game yesterday because it was uh, certainly through the first 17 innings of the of the season, it was not great. It was not. I mean, the panic level, I was already preparing what I would say on the podcast to try to talk people off the ledge if the Braves opened, like, with a sweep. Because, mm. I mean, what, by the way, one year ago, they got swept in the opening series. Oh. Um, granted, that was a longer season, uh, and the impact of the sweep wasn't quite as big. But, yeah, I was worried that we had to start talking talk people down a little bit. But, obviously, it worked out. Uh, Contreras gets the hit. They take the lead. In the bottom half, uh, Jackson starting the inning surprised me. I'll say that. Uh, granted that I thought I thought at the time, like everybody else would have, that Melanson was available. We knew that he wasn't after the game. But then Jackson allows two base runners. Uh, was it two base runners or one? I can't remember. Uh, well, he had the leadoff guy. The leadoff guy is obviously it, on. But yeah. yeah, they had another guy on. Um, regardless, I'm trying to do, do the math in my head. But Bases was, loaded, nobody out. Yeah, yeah there yeah. you go. I, I, was, I was surprised that he was still pitching after that especially. Uh, and now it's worth pointing out that Melanson was not the only guy who wasn't available. They were trying not to pitch Green or Martin. And with Smith out, that's your five best relievers, with Luke being one of the five. So that's the argument in favor of Jackson staying in the game, is that he is a better overall pitcher than anybody else they had available. With that said, he did not look great in either inning, I don't think. Um, but anyway, they, they stuck with him. He got the outs necessary. We found out after the game, and I think it was pretty clear after he allow- allowed the two pitch runners that uh, Blanson was not available. But I don't know. What'd you make of that whole thing? Would you have left him in there? It ended up working out, obviously. Yeah, I, I was. I mean, as you said, we didn't know that Melanson wasn't available. So at first, I was like, "What the hell are we doing?" Yeah, um, we, we all we all had that thought. Right, but then once they showed the bullpen, and I think it was Tukey and Tyler Matzik, I believe, who were warming yep. up. It was That's obvious right. that Melanson was not available. So. Um, it was a little bit of a, of a nervous wreck the last uh, couple innings there. It, it, I think it was the official start of Braves baseball to have a game where you're just kind of like hiding your, your head in your hands for the final couple innings. You just don't know what's going to happen. But as you said, it worked out. Luke is a, is a solid reliever. I, I would like to see him get some, uh, favorable luck this year. I think he's due some, some better outcomes on balls, put in play against him, but it wasn't pretty, but to get that first win out of the way was nice. And, um, to at least get one, you need to get at least one this weekend, and and then of course uh, lead you into Sunday night, which was a lot more fun. Right. The last the last thing you want in the world once you've built a five to two lead in the tenth is bases loaded, no outs, and that's what happened. It was like the worst case scenario, just building because you know if you score one in the top of the tenth, you might feel really uneasy. Mm, yeah. You go up, you go up five two. It's like all right, this is a win. We're putting this in the win, we're putting this in the win column. Let's move on to Sunday. Try to get this yeah. series win. And then it wasn't so easy, but anyway, they got it, and so, there you go. I forget who did it, but it's like it's kind of like the college football overtime rule. It's like one run is a field goal, and you're like, all right, well, we scored, but does anybody really want to go back out there and play defense up by three? Two runs is a touchdown, you know, <laughs> so on and so forth. You, you want to get at <laughs> least one, at least one. Well, you're uh, supposed to. The thing is, with a runner on second and no outs, you're supposed to get one now in yeah. extra innings. Like if you play the math, you're supposed to score a run. Like, you're not going to do it every time, obviously, yeah. but if you just play ABC Baseball, you score a run, or if you get one hit, 
you probably score a run. So it's, you know, the, the math is all weird. We're going to have to look into all that stuff in extra innings, but uh, yeah, you can't really feel great about one run leads in extra innings. Now when yeah. the bottom half, you know, they have a guy in second base with no outs. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Right. It's just bizarre. Yeah. Okay. Moving on to Sunday. Um, much more fun. Uh, in fact, we started recording. The game is now officially over. It's 14 to one. So shout out to the Braves. Um, this is one that got out of hand pretty quickly. Rick Porcello was not good. Uh, gave up two runs in the first. Uh, the Mets did answer in the bottom half. That was their only run. And then uh, the Braves put up five in the third. And it was basically over from there. Um, I don't really have like takes on this game. Other than the fact that uh, it was very funny when Matt Adams got thrown out at third in the first inning, because Matt Adams is not a not a speedy individual, and I'm not really sure why he went to third. That was funny, um, but other than that, I mean, they just kind of beat the whatever you want to whatever word you want to use out of the Mets in this game. Yeah, everyone had fun. Like, I'll read some of the numbers to you, and then I'll let you react. I mean, Ozzy Ozzy got right with uh, three for six. With three RBI and three runs scored, Ozuna homered again. Swanson has been out of his mind. Um, he homered, had three hits. Uh, yeah, I mean, Ender Ender did Ender things. Ender's hot again. Contreras three more hits. I mean, basically everyone's even even Ronnie who looked terrible early um, was starting to break out of it by the end of the night. Hopefully that continues because uh, it was kind of funny. I was ready to talk about this. The top three guys, the three stars, were the guys who were really, really struggling the most until like midway through tonight. Um, mm-hmm. I even posted a screenshot of their uh, of their slash lines, and they were like comically bad. And, and no one's worried about Ronnie, Ozzy, and Freddie, but it's, it it was a good sign that the Braves didn't need them to do anything, and they won the series anyway. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, again, to win two out of three when prior to midway through Sunday night, you had what one total hit between those three guys. Um, it was really encouraging. Um, Ronnie's he's, he's a guy who's always been a little streaky. I think that's just who he is. If this three game stretch was in the middle of a normal season in the middle of July, yeah, he'd be slumping a little bit. We'd probably briefly allude to it, but not nearly the, the level of recognition it's gotten yep. over the last 72 hours or so guys are going to be hot. Guys are going to be cold. Um, yeah, somebody pointed out, they made a good point that at least with the Grom and again, DeGrom is, is unlike pretty much anybody, but um, the Braves, for all of their inner squad scrimmages, don't really have any hard throwers. If you think about it, um, you know, Soroka, low 90s guy, Fulton Evich, uh, depending on the radar gun that day, is more of a, <laughs> I guess, a low 90s guy. Um, Max Fried can ramp it up. Newcomb can ramp it up. But again, they don't have a ton of hard, hard throwers in the bullpen. You know, Melanson, Green, none of those guys are bringing it at the upper 90s. So I think there was inevitably going to be a little bit of rust for the hitters. Most people thought pitchers were going to be ahead, and I think that's clear around the rest of the league. And again, when you haven't seen upper 90s, he, I mean, the third pitch of the game from DeGrom was 99. I mean, that he was ready to rock. He is, he is so filthy. I mean, that's the oh. thing about that opening game. Like, yes, the Braves looked bad on offense, but let, let's, let's put an allowance in for Jacob DeGrom, who is yeah. ridiculous. I, I know it's not fun to get blanked on opening day. Like, no one's saying otherwise. But context is important here. Like mm-hmm. Jacob, Jacob Degrom is disgusting. Like, yeah. <laughs> like truly, truly ridiculous Cy Young level filth from yeah, Jacob. Degrom. Ninety ninety two mile an hour changeup. There's not a lot of those floating around. In, uh, no. <laughs> in he's very league. good. But yeah, so again, it was it was good to see the. I mean, again, Rick Porcello is the kind of pitcher the Braves need to beat and should beat more times than not. 
um, for them to come alive on Sunday night. You could tell the guys were having fun. Somebody made the comment they weren't, they didn't look like they were very interested or having much fun. Well, when you're when you're all striking out against 99 from Degrom, nobody's having a good time, right? So no. hopefully they're able to parlay this, get Ronnie going, get Ozzy and Freddie going even more. Ozuna's been great. Dansby's been great. Ender, second half Ender, which we joke about. Ender's been hitting the ball well. Second half Ender. Uh, a chance. Well, um, it's it's crazy. That, it's crazy. Like if you you know, obviously this is not sustainable in terms of what the numbers are, especially for Dansby, but. If Dansby hits, like things gets kind of scary. We, we got a message from an unnamed talking chop writer, you and I, uh, today talking about. Uh, <laughs> can, can we start talking about Dansby MVP conversations? Which obviously, <laughs> which is obviously a little bit sarcastic. But if Dansby hits, and we've always said this, this is this is not breaking news. We mentioned him as one of the X Factor guys on our last podcast. But yeah. if he hits, man, it's a scary lineup, and he's hitting right now. Like, is it going to continue? I, I have no idea. But he looks great. I mean, he's spraying yeah. the ball over the place. Like, he looks great. Yeah, I mean, again, if, if they can get solid production out of Dansby, you hope, again, Riley was really pitched well by the Mets, I think, the first couple games and um, was having some good at-bats without the results. If he's able to give some power lower end, um, who knows where, you know, how long it's going to take for Travis Darno, Tyler Flowers, William Contreras has done a great job the last couple of days. Um, yeah, there's some depth here. Is it is it the greatest lineup in the league? No, but I think there's legitimate hitters, at least one through eight or so, depending on who's catching that day. Um, and now they, they hope to kind of keep it going and hopefully Sunday night was a way for everyone to kind of take a deep breath and say, okay, we're, you know, we're back to, back to business and, um, and get ready because they have some, some pretty good pitching on the horizon. Yeah, they do. Um, let's look ahead now before we get out of here, uh, to the week that is coming. The Braves don't have any off days, as we talked about before, 20 games in 20 days. Um, they're actually pretty substantial betting underdogs on Monday against the Rays. The Rays are A, very good, and B, uh, they're throwing Tyler Glass now, who has filthy stuff, former top prospect, who is very good. Mm-hmm. And the Braves have uh, Fultonavich, who is not terrible, but certainly not as good as Tyler Glass now on paper. So I'm not surprised by that, but uh, they have the first two games in Tampa, Monday and Tuesday, it's Fulty, and then it's Kyle Wright. And then they come home finally on Wednesday, to finish a four-game split city series with the Rays. So, uh, again, for people that, know, that may not pay attention too much to the American League, the Rays are good. Um, this is a tough series to go uh, to split up, to, to split up here, and they actually play the Mets again with uh, four – actually, four in a row with the Mets at Truist Park. I mean, the, the schedule is not easy this week. We'll say that. I mean, the Mets – are the Mets, and obviously they just beat them two out of three. But the Mets are decent, even if they're even if they're not great. You might see you probably see Degrom again. Um, yep. It gets difficult at times, but and the Rays are not a pushover. So I'll say this: this this next seven game series, if the Braves can go, you know, four and three this week, uh, combined against the Rays and the Mets, that would be a win. I mean, that's yep. not it's not breaking news, I don't think. But when you're playing, <laughs> the Rays are definitely a playoff caliber team. The Mets might be one. Uh, just kind of try to win more than you lose. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, the Rays are. I think they're an easy team for baseball fans to root for, especially in in their division where they're going up against the 200 million dollar payrolls of the Yankees and the Red Sox. And more times than not, they seem to have a good team. Um, as you said, they're going to see some pretty good pitching. They missed Blake Snell, who pitched today, but they're going to see um, Glass now. They're going to see Charlie Morton one of the days, I believe. Braves uh, legend, Charlie Morton. Braves legend, Charlie Morton. Um, and again, the Rays are a good, solid ball club. They will 
I don't think Austin Meadows, who uh, was diagnosed with COVID or, or was positive for COVID a few about two weeks ago, I don't think Meadows is going to play. He's a really underrated star player for them that a lot of people don't necessarily know about. But again, as you said, if, if you can split with Tampa, maybe even win three out of four would be awesome. But if you go two and two against them before the Mets come to town, um, I think you'd be pretty happy. Yeah, I mean, it's not that's not exciting, but I, I do think that two and two is a perfectly fine outcome against the Rays in a split series. Uh, that team is as good as the Braves are, if not better than the Braves are. Um, they are very good. And, yeah, let's just leave it there. I mean, uh, and the Mets, I think the Braves are better than the Mets, but, you know, yeah. anything can happen the in Mets, a three-game series. The Mets pitching staff, I think, really, you kind of saw the bullpen's solid, but not great. And DeGrom is amazing, but after that, Mats was, was good. I think Mats, whenever he's been healthy, he's shown yeah, he's, he's fine. a capable big leaguer, but um, I mean, if, if Rick Porcello, Michael Waka, and I don't even know who the fifth starter would be is is uh, the back end of their rotation, that's going to be an issue. Yeah, the loss of uh, of Stroman was significant for the Mets. Uh, without going down, down that rabbit hole, that's a team that needed him, and they're not going to have him for a while. So, yeah, yeah I don't and, know who hey, the fifth starter is. Shout-outs to the uh, Marlins today who lost a fifth of their roster uh, because of a COVID scare. Urania, Alfaro, a couple others, and they went up and they uh, won the series against the Phillies earlier. Good for the Marlins. That's a scary situation. You have to know that in the back of all their minds, uh, baseball was probably not number one on their their list of priorities as all their teammates were being, it sounds like, effectively locked into a Philadelphia hotel for the next two weeks to quarantine. Um, They went up and, and won a series, and then the Nationals are also not off to a great start. So um, it was a good week for the Atlanta Baseball Club. Yeah, it uh, it absolutely was. Um, looking at the, um, it's it's never too early for playoff odds, playoff odds discussions. As I always uh, track those never. things. Um, the real time Fangraphs and uh, oh, Fangraphs isn't updated yet. That's unfortunate. They're uh, they're slow to the trigger after the night game. But five thirty eight has uh, the Braves projected with a seventy two percent chance to make the playoffs and a 29% chance to win the division. They like the Nationals more than the Braves, which I'm sure people will love on this podcast. But <laughs> Fangraphs had the Braves like somewhere in the 70s to make the playoffs as well. So yeah, feeling pretty good about the playoffs anyway. And honestly, that's all you can... As, as we said early in the podcast, to bring things full circle, getting in the playoffs is really what matters this time. Yep. Um, especially with the uncertainty around home field. Uh, yeah, it'd be good to win the division. Everyone wants to win the, divi- win the division every year, but the advantages are not maybe as big as you might think they are this time around. So just uh, just go go out and win enough games to make the playoffs. That's the yep. goal. And uh, the Braves are well on their way to do that. 2-1 two one, two one start. It doesn't seem like as much as it might have been. Uh, you know, 60-game season, You we, as we said before, every game matters more. Maybe that's not the case now with the expanded playoffs, but you know you're like like you said before, five percent of the season's over, and the Braves are two and one. So, yeah, that's good. <laughs> I'm just saying, you you beat yep. a division competitor that wasn't the Marlins, and you beat him in a series on the road. Yep. On to when, on, to, on to Tampa Bay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it's. This year, I think, I don't want to speak for everyone, but for me, yeah, I'm enjoying the heck out of these games. Having baseball, I can't tell you how many hours of baseball I've already watched just because it's we've been without sports for however many months now. Um, you know, my goals for this year, everybody stay healthy, do all right, maybe make the playoffs, make some noise in, in September and October and, and go from there. But great to have baseball back, and I know 
like I said, even on even on opening day when they lost, I still wasn't too mad because one, it was Jacob Degrom, and two, it's just nice to have some some sports back in our lives. Uh, okay, final, final stat before I leave you, Scott. There you go. The Braves are currently tied for the best run differential in baseball after three games. <laughs> who are <laughs> they tied? Who are who are they tied with? Oh, um, the I will say the Houston Astros. Uh, they are the Astros are tied for the American League lead. The Braves are tied with the Dodgers for the oh. Major League oh. lead. Dodgers just gave up a run. We're in first. Perfect. Don't call awesome. Us as we as we as we're talking, <laughs> literally but no, just gave up a run. Yeah. Uh, and how about this? This is probably not that likely. No one, no team in baseball is undefeated. First time in like 50, 60, 70 years. I saw that earlier. I don't have the, I want to say like 1952. I, I believe that. I, 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 didn't, I didn't really realize that until I look at the stands right now that no one swept their first series. Uh, yep. A bunch of, bunch, bunch of two and ones and one and twos. Uh, that's surprising yep. in some ways. First time, uh, I, want, I wish I had it. Yeah, someone said it was the first, I want to say it was like 52, 54, long time. But um, yeah, I believe that. Cool. Yeah. And again, it shows the, the craziness and weirdness of a, of a 60 game season. Yeah. I uh, suppose that's true. All right. Well, Scott, uh, the Braves play again on Monday evening. It is a bizarre 6.40 p.m. Eastern time start. I'm sure you'll love that on the West Coast. You 3.40 p.m. guy, you. Um, yeah. But, yeah, we're back to uh, local TV only, I believe, as well. I and mean, Obviously, MLB TV will be in the mix. But after two ESPN games in the first three games, uh, the next five or six in a row are uh, just back to normal. So check that out. 6:40 p.m. They have a 6:40 start. There's no fans. It's not two, day, get two days in a row for... too. 6:40 Monday and Tuesday. That's just for weird. you. Just I mean, I you, get Scott. it if you have fans. Some teams have done that, you know, especially if it's an area that's maybe not the uh, nicest in town. They want to get the kids and the families out of there and ready for school the next day. But that's that's weird. That's, yeah, I'm looking that's... at the schedule now. There's two 6:40s this week. When they go to Philly uh, in August. They have two 6.05 games, including mm. one on a Monday at 6.05. Um, I don't know Weird. why there would be a Monday game at 6.05, but there is one. I don't know. There's some strange start times. But anyway, uh, anything to plug yeah. before we get into watching baseball again? Because it's uh, no. not that far away. Yeah. No, good to have baseball back. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Uh, be sure to check out the site. Lots of good stuff. Lots of good content. Uh, now that we have actual, I think everybody was pretty hungry to write about like real baseball things and not a bunch of hypotheticals and lookbacks. So um, lots of good stuff, and uh, we'll see you sometime soon, Brad. Absolutely. Please subscribe to the show if you've not already done that. I really appreciate everyone that already has. So shouts to you guys. But if you have not done that, click the subscribe button on your podcast player of choice. You get this show and you get Road to Atlanta whenever they are here. I know it's minor league weirdness right now but they'll be back i promise in the future and uh, it's the best way to get the show so go ahead and do that leave five star feedback if you enjoy the podcast and we'll see everybody uh, later on
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. 